good to have you here at City. And uh, I know some of you are a little out of sorts because we mixed up the worship uh, sort of mode of worship or timing of things this morning. But that's what happens as a pastor when you miss two team meetings in one week. So I happened to have some other commitments and I was unable to be there and I came back and the lead team said, we've shifted the order. Well, what are you going to do then? You're outnumbered, you weren't there. But you know, sometimes I think it's good to mix things up a little bit. Don't you? I think it is. And I think it gives us a little bit of confusion slash expectation uh, of what comes next. Well, what I want to do this morning is continue in the teaching series that we began two weeks ago when Dick Foth was with us and he brought us a message about the road to Emmaus, and we're going to sort of revisit that again this morning. But the, the teaching, the sermon series is called There and Back Again, There and Back Again. And just so you know where this teaching series came from is that I've had a burden that many of us do not know much or anything at all about the Older Testament. And so the purpose of this teaching series is to really allow us to discover how the Older and Newer Testaments connect and ultimately point to Jesus. But please understand this, as a church, we're based on three pillars. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, Spirit-led church. Biblically-based relationally driven, spirit-led. And what that simply means is, is that we believe Scripture, the Bible, Scripture, capital S, is the Word of God. We believe that the more we understand that and by the power of the Spirit apply to our lives, the more vibrant following Jesus becomes. We are also relationally driven. That's why we talk about life groups here at City and the importance of relationship and you and I doing this thing we call following Jesus together with other people. Then we, the third pillar is being spirit-led. The Bible teaches, we know, and we've experienced that God, through Jesus, sent the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' departure so that you and I could live out the Scriptures we learn and also have power to do relationships differently than if we just did them in our own natural strength. How many of you sitting here know that if it were not Jesus, if it were not for Jesus, the relationships in your life, it would be no way Jose? Do you know that? Let me put it this way. Are you married? You need Jesus. Trust me. So what we're going to do uh, for the next several weeks is take an in-depth look and explore the connections between the Old Testament and New Testament because of how important it is for our faith journey. I cannot know you unless I know your story. It's impossible. The way I get to know you and the way you get to know me is that we have to share the stories of each other. And so if that's what it takes, then it's key for us to also know the story of Jesus. Who was he? And in order to know the story of Jesus, you cannot just look at the New Testament. If you do, you will have far less data and far less of the story than you could have ever imagined. 
And so look at it this way. For a lot of Christians, it's almost as though you look at the Old Testament and you say, because it's old, I don't want it. I want new. How many of you would rather have a new car than the car you have? Right? That's kind of how we look at the Older Testament. We go, eh, well, it's old. And if God brought new, what do you want the old for? But understand that in order to know Jesus, you also have to see how the Older Testament fits in with the newer. We used the analogy last week, but if you were to want to get to know my wife, let's say one of my kids said, hey, Mom, I want to know your story, but I only want to know the part where you met Dad and forward. The reason is that's the best part of her life. That's why. (laughs) By far. But can you imagine not knowing the backstory? You see, if you were to meet my wife, you would have to know things about her that were before she met Pete, even though meeting Pete was the best thing that ever happened to her. Now listen, if you went and met one of my children, you said, hey, I'd, you know, maybe because she's not here, I'll pick on her, my daughter Allie. Hey, Allie, I really want to get to know you. Well, look, the truth of it is, to get to know Allie, you would have to know something about her mom and dad. Because if you know those stories, it builds into who Allie is. So you would want to know that my wife is 100% Italian. One side comes from the island of Sardinia. The other side comes from Sicily. In other words, don't mess with my wife's family. They can cook well, but show severe appreciation after you eat their food. My world, my mother immigrated to North America from England. She was born and raised in Yorkshire, England. She's a Brit. My father's German. I can't even explain to you the difference between eating with my parents and eating with her parents. It's not even in the same planet. But if you said to Allie, look, I really want to get to know you, You would have to know these things because those things feed in to who Allie is. That's how it works. So when we come and say, well, listen, I just want to know about Jesus. Just give me Mary, Joseph, the birth, and forward. That's all I care about. Truth of it is, the backstory is tremendous. It deepens your faith. It deepens your appreciation if you understand how the Older Testament connects to the Newer Testament and then points us to Jesus important. Here's some quick things about Jesus. If you met Jesus, you would have to know this. He is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. Being called a Christian is something that happened after Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected. He was Jewish. It's pretty apparent from the biblical record that at some point, Jesus was raised by a single mother. His father Joseph disappears from scriptural record and Joseph is not found in Jesus' ministry years. We know this, that Jesus was considered by many to be the Son of God. But you see, Jesus' world was completely dictated by the Older Testament. Completely. He was a Jew. You see, Jesus and his family were followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Jesus would have heard the stories from when he was knee-high to a grasshopper about how God created the world. How God put this guy named Adam in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And how from Adam he created his helpmeet, Eve. And how Adam and Eve lived in the garden. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. And they had communion with God. But then what happened was the wheels came off. The alien invader of sin came in. And look, I'm just going to say how Jews view it. It was because of Eve. It really was. If you read the Older Testament text, Eve is the one that goes to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she notices that it's pleasing to the eye and and is going to help to gain wisdom. So she takes from that fruit and she eats it and she gives it to Adam. And from that moment, catastrophe hits. Chaos hits all that there is. And she is cursed by God. And there's now pain in the midst of childbirth. The ultimate joy is now really salted with pain and with suffering. Adam, on the other hand, will till the soil, but there will be weeds and thistles. How many of you know that when you look in your yard, you know that the curse on Adam is real in your life as well? It's not the case in my yard, but my neighbor's yards are definitely proof of that. And then Jesus would have been taught the ultimate story of the Older Testament. The ultimate story of the Older Testament follows God's reset button through Noah. And after that, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the people of God go into horrific bondage. They're conquered in the sense of because of where they live by the Egyptian empire, and they are abused for four centuries. And then finally, the people are crying out to God over and over, and God, by His grace and His mercy, raises up a guy named Moses. And through supernatural intervention and plagues and judgments, God delivers His people. And every Jewish child knows that story backwards and forwards because it's about them as a people. It's about them as a nation. It's about their identity. There's a God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you follow Him, He will set you free. And so every Jewish child is is weaned on the stories of Adam and Eve and walking with God in the cool of the evening all the way to the incredible story of God who sets His people free. And it's not Charlton Heston, it's Moses. And God sets His people free and brings them into the land that flows with milk and honey. You see, that's the story of Jesus. Those are the stories that fashioned everyone He knew. And then all of a sudden, God brings Christ into this world. But you see, it's not that those stories weren't still told. They were told to Jesus. He knew them well. So did every other Jew that he knew. And it's through those stories that Jesus becomes who he is as the Son of God. And it's through those stories that everyone around him is looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the one who will come to set his people free again. Well, Jesus arrives, and when he arrives, he comes as the Son of God, but even his own people reject him. 
The reason why they reject him is because he did not come as a military leader. Conversely, he said, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. If someone comes up and strikes you on the cheek, give them the other one. If someone walks up like a Roman soldier and puts a sword into your ribs and forces you to carry their shield and their cloak a mile, willingly carry it two miles. That's what he taught. And although it sounds good on the surface, it's so hard to live. And so the, in the end, because, who he, because of who he met at Starbucks with, women of notorious reputation, men who had ripped off Israel, people who were the lower echelon of life because that's who he chose to eat lunch with at Bodo's, they killed him. You can't have that. Righteous men don't meet with ungodly people. Well, lo and behold, when he's nailed to the cross, everyone leaves, even his closest followers, because they believed the Messiah would never die. So once he's nailed to the cross, they know it's over. No one lives through crucifixion. So they all exit, and Jesus is left hanging alone. A couple of followers stuff his body quickly in a tomb. The sun is setting, and the Sabbath is upon them. But something incredible happens. On the third day, he is raised to life. No one expected it. No one. His closest followers were coming to put spices on his dead body. And instead of finding a dead Jesus, they find a resurrected one, and everything changes. Everything. Now, it's fascinating to note that one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John, only mentions one woman at the tomb. Other Gospels mention several. But in John's Gospel in chapter 20, only one woman is mentioned. Her name is Mary Magdalene. We'll come back to her in a few moments. After he meets Mary Magdalene, the Gospels tell us in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, that Jesus moves and he actually meets these two men that are exiting Jerusalem, they're on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about him. And while they're talking about him, he steps in with them, and he asks them, what are you talking about? And there he is in resurrected form, but they're kept from recognizing him. And he asks them, what are you guys talking about? And they say, where in the world have you been? Jesus, that's what everyone's talking about. The guy we thought was the Messiah was crucified. And then they say, but oddly enough, there were some women who claimed they met him in the garden. They actually claim that they met him in the garden. How many of you men, much to your peril, at times do not listen to your women? Me too. They don't believe them. So they're walking to Emmaus and Jesus steps in with them. And that's where we pick up our story. Luke 24 25 to 27. And he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's a reference to the Older Testament. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
The Gospel of Luke never tells us what he says. But he did that. And he ends up at the home of one of those two guys that are walking along the road, and they have what we would call a life group. They have a home group. And Jesus is there in the home of this guy, and he's explaining who he is, only using the Older Testament. And then he breaks bread. Their eyes are opened, and Jesus disappears from their sight. And their response was this, Oh my goodness, were our hearts not burning within us as he explained everything about himself from the Scriptures? You see, in that moment, the head and the heart came together. That's what God wants for you. That was the miracle in Emmaus. But God calls it to happen in Charlottesville as well. Where the miracle of what we hear suddenly connects with our heart, it's called faith, and we begin to be transformed. And it's amazing to me that Luke's gospel does not tell us what Jesus taught, but it tantalizes us to discover and to investigate what could Jesus have taught. And so that's what I did this past week. I took time, and I studied, and I read the Older Testament and said, what is it that Jesus would have taught? What is it? But you know what's incredible? Is at the end of his teaching, Luke chapter 24, verse 31 says this, then their eyes were opened. They were blind, now they can see. There was this aha moment of when the Scriptures suddenly made sense to them. And then in Luke chapter 24, verse 32 again, they said, were not our hearts burning within us? And what they'd heard sunk into their hearts. Luke 24, 31 fascinates me. It says that when Jesus was done explaining everything for the Older Testament to them, it says, then their eyes were opened. Then their eyes were opened. You see, Jesus had started in the Garden of Eden. He had shown them in the Garden. He was involved. In that place where they walked with God, Adam and Eve, in the cool of the evening, Jesus shows them through Scripture, beginning with Genesis and going all the way through the Older Testament to the book of Malachi, He shows them who He is. And what the Scripture says about him, why? Because experience isn't enough. You can have an experience with God, but to have it rooted in Scripture is what keeps you solid and stable. It does. So they've had experiences with God, and now he roots those experiences in Scripture. Can you imagine what that must have been like? God in the flesh having a Bible study at your kitchen table. I would have loved to have been there. But I know Jesus started in Genesis, so so did I. And when I looked in Genesis, I found something that surprised me. You see, Luke 24, 31 says their eyes were opened, but under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke writes that. But what's fascinating is that exact same phrase is found in the creation story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what it says, Genesis 3, 7, then the eyes 
of both of them were opened. Isn't that something? What was said in the Gospel of Luke was said about Adam and Eve in the garden. But it also goes on to say, and they realized they were naked. It's the beginning of the curse. Adam and Eve in the garden begin to understand that here they are and they've been naked, nothing is new. But when Eve faithfully reaches for that fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and takes a bite and gives it to her husband, all of a sudden it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. What happened on the road to Emmaus also happened in the Garden of Eden. Their eyes were opened, but they realized they were naked. You see, just before that in Genesis 2.25, it says Adam and Eve and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame at all. None. No shame. But you see, following eating that fruit, here's the report in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.6 and following. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, she took it. And it was good for gaining wisdom. She took it. She gave it to her husband. And then in verse 7, that fateful phrase, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. In verse 8, then they hid from the Lord God. They hid. Their relationship with God is broken. Fear and shame has now entered the human race. When God calls out to Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam responds to God, I'm, uh, I'm hiding because I'm naked and I'm afraid. Suddenly man becomes afraid of God. Instead of having relationship with God, now man is afraid of God. There's fear and shame and separation and dysfunction. But again, as I mentioned earlier, Eve fell first. She was the first one to fall. In Jewish theology, unfortunately, being honest, she's the one to blame. She's the one that took the fruit and ate it first and gave it to her husband. And that all happened in the Garden of Eden. I can thoroughly imagine that Jesus as those two guys on the road to Maus, their eyes are opened and they recognize him, that he starts there in the creation story. And he starts talking about how Adam and Eve's eyes were opened to the fact that they were naked. And because of that, fear and shame entered the human race. I don't know how you are, but I am well aware this world is not the way it was supposed to be. I feel it don't you? As good as it is, as great as it is, as wonderful as it is, there's something in my heart of hearts that tells me things are not the way that they could have been or should have been, and that's what the creation story tells us. But the worst part of it is, is that through the sin of Adam and Eve, you and I have inherited this sin nature. And yes, in Jewish theology, Eve is to blame. She was the one that went first. She's the one that went first. And it happened in a garden. 
And for the next thousands and thousands of years, humankind has suffered. That sin has wreaked havoc on the human race. We feel it every day. But here's what's incredible to me. Jesus, discipling those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were open, Adam and Eve's eyes are opened. And then we do something miraculous. If you know the story of the Older Testament and you put those two phrases together because they're identical phrases, now you go back to another garden. You start in the Garden of Eden. But isn't it incredible that Jesus was resurrected in a garden? And as you look at it through the story of Scripture, suddenly you recognize, if you get the Old Testament story, that God in His grace and His mercy is rewriting the story that happened in the Garden of Eden. God is rewriting the Eden story where Adam and Eve fell into sin and it wreaked havoc in their lives. And then you come to John's Gospel. John only mentions one woman, and I think it's important to know. Her name in John chapter 20 is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. He doesn't mention the other Mary. He only mentions her. You know why? I think I know. If you know the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, suddenly only having one woman in the garden makes total sense. If Eve was the one that had the wheels fall off, now we have one woman that's back in a garden, and she, by the grace of God, will be the first one to announce the resurrection of Jesus. The blessing that has been sent to wipe away the curse is first viewed by a woman. That's what God is saying. Now listen carefully. Who is Mary Magdalene? She was possessed by seven demons. Imagine that. She grew up just up the shoreline, and she lived just up the shoreline from a little place called Capernaum, which is where Jesus' earthly ministry was based out of. So here he is in this little fishing village. Jesus is there and he's ministering in and around and he goes to this town called Migdal. And in this town of Migdal, he meets a woman that's possessed by seven demons and he delivers her and he sets her free. That's why her name is Mary Magdalene. Magdalene is a slight deviation of Migdal. What her name means is Mary of Migdal. That's what her name means. And here you have, in the garden, Mary of Migdal in the Gospel of John is the one who, in the garden, meets Jesus first. And if the ancients are right, they also believe that Mary Magdalene was a woman of the night. The reason why everyone knew her in that city was because of her profession. She was a woman who had sold herself. And then suddenly she meets Jesus. And she meets a guy who views her differently. Instead of viewing her for what he can take from her, he views her in a way of what he can bless her with. Totally different. And in meeting her, her world is completely transformed. And can you imagine what that would be like 
to have the town prostitute suddenly be transformed. And people would say, who is she? Oh, that's Mary Magdalene. No way. you got to be kidding. She's so changed. And then someone goes, oh, yeah, by the way, that guy named Jesus of Nazareth, he cast seven demons out of her too. He freed her up. Now she follows him. And here she is. She's the one that meets Jesus on resurrection morning. She's the one. And if you understand the Older Testament, it seems as though God is announcing to anyone who knows the book of Genesis that He, by His grace, is now erasing the curse that hit Eve. That the curse is being removed because of the resurrection of Jesus, because if there was ever a woman who had been wiped out by the curse of Eve, it's Mary Magdalene. She embodies what it's like to live under that burden. And now here she is in the garden. The Bible in John tells us that she comes into the garden with herbs and spices to prepare his body. She never imagined he'd be raised from the dead. She loved him. She followed him, but never believed he would be raised from the dead. And as she goes to the tomb to prepare his body, she does not find it. She doesn't find him. And so with tears and confusion, you can read about this in the Gospel of John. She's panicking and she's looking. And as she moves through the garden, she sees a man standing there. And through her tears, she thinks it's the gardener. And through her tears, she says to him, I'm looking for my Lord. Do you know where they've taken him? And Jesus says to her, Mary. And when she hears it, John 20 verse 16 says, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Do you remember what happened in the first garden? When God called out to Adam and Eve, they turned away and they hid. In the new story in the garden, Jesus calls out to her and instead of turning away, the Gospel of John tells us she turns toward him. It's a new day, people. Things have changed. God is now on the move. The curse that came through Adam and Eve is now broken. Jesus, where death tried to conquer him because the curse always brings death, the curse could not hold him, the curse could not keep him, and on the third day he's raised to life. And who does God have in the garden? The woman that shows Eve's curse real time. And she stands there. And when God calls her name, she does not turn away, but she turns towards him. And then John chapter 20 verse 18 tells us that Mary Magdalene went to the disciples to announce the news, I have seen the Lord. I have seen him. You see, if we understand the Older Testament, now what's called in Genesis chapter 3, it's called the fall. Jesus' new life is called the resurrection. What went down has now come up. 
The fall means to go down and to die. The resurrection means new life. And so what I want to say to you is this is when you understand the Older Testament and the message that is there, it deepens our appreciation for what Jesus has done. He is resurrected in a garden. And if you could for a moment picture this, Mary of Magdalene is Eve. She's Eve. She's the female representation of the one who brought the curse. And now she stands with Jesus and her life is completely transformed. What God would say to us, what Jesus would want to show us, is that what happened in the Garden of Eden has now been erased through what happened in the Garden where Jesus is raised to new life. You see people exploring the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament is important for our faith. Because it helps us to understand the depth of what Jesus has done for us. Now, as we move towards closing, I have a question. Do you know him? Do you know him as the one who meets with this woman of the night? And when he does, he sets her free. Do you know him as the resurrected one? As the one that has defeated death, who's conquered the grave? who on the third day God raised to new life. If you know Him, it rewrites your story. If you know Him, then your story will never be the same. Mary Magdalene was never the same. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be those 11 disciples, the 11 apostles, and she bursts into the room and she says, I've seen Him. He's alive. He's not dead. And they go, we don't believe you. And they begin to walk to Emmaus. Jesus meets them there. And in his own way, he puts them in a holy headlock and says, you should have believed Mary Magdalene. She was right. You were wrong. I serve a God that will take a woman of the night and make her the trumpet, the announcement, the one that brings to us the first declaration that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead that the curse that Eve brought has been now erased through the love of Jesus Christ for you and for me. Would you stand with me? We're going to take a moment.
God, I thank you for your love. And Lord, now I pray this blessing. May the Lord keep us. May the Lord literally keep us. May he cause his face to shine upon us. May his grace rest heavily upon us. And may he give us his peace. As we conclude our time, I encourage you to stay for a moment of worship. If you would need prayer, our prayer team will be down front to pray with you, to pray for you. If you would like to go to First Connect, I encourage you to do that. Just slip out again to the right, and as you do that, you can follow the signs to the little gym. But again, I want to encourage you. Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead, he is alive. You can find new life in him. Let's worship together just for a moment, and then slip out and start Show us your glory. 
you're welcome to come forward.